Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequency 6145 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Figili Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, South Sudan President Salva Kiir refuses to sign peace agreement. Botswana's President Ian Kama takes over SADC chairmanship and Malawi's President Peter Mutarika reshuffles his cabinet. In economics, experts warn of more job losses in Zimbabwe and in sports news, athletics governing body elections gaining momentum. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Moussa. South Sudanese President Silva Kiir has declined to sign a peace deal proposed by regional leaders, saying he required more time. Lead mediator Siyom Mesfin says only the rebels and the SPLM, part of South Sudan's opposition, signed the agreement. The government declined to sign, citing reservations to some of the clause, but said it would sign in the next 15 days. Thousands of people have died and more than 2 million have been displaced since fighting broke out in 2013. Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe has thanked the South African government for its continued mediation efforts in Lesotho. SADC facilitator to Lesotho, Cyril Ramaphosa, briefed the Troika leaders about the state of the fragile political and security situation in the Mountain Kingdom. Mugabe has officially handed over the reins of the SADC chairmanship to Botswana's President Ian Khama at the start of the regional leader summit in Botswana's capital, Khabarone. Mugabe applauded the role played by South African contributing towards enhancing peace and security in Lesotho. I would like to commend the chairperson of the SADC organ on politics, defense and security, His Excellency President Jacob Zuma, and the SADC facilitator on Lesotho, Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa, for guiding our efforts to facilitate peace and security in the kingdom. We must also continue to assist our brothers and sisters in the Democratic Republic of the Congo as they search for peaceful ways of resolving their current challenges.
called on regional leaders mediating for the SEDEC summit in Botswana to reinstate the SEDEC tribunal, which was effectively disbanded last year. The Coalition for an Effective SEDEC Tribunal says the tribunal must be reinstated to uphold the rule of law and human rights in the 15 member states of SEDEC. It complained the SEDEC leaders had acted illegally by adopting a new SEDEC tri- uh, tribunal protocol, which removed access to the tribunal by individuals and legal persons and also removed its human rights mandate. The United Nations mission in the Central African Republic says it's determined to fully investigate all allegations of sexual exploitation and abuse by its forces to hold perpetrators of such acts to account. New reports of abuse allegedly committed by UN peacekeepers in the country were revealed last week by the Human Rights Group, Amnesty International. The allegations include sexual assault on a minor and killings by UN forces in the capital, Bangui. The UN says the investigation is complicated due to the large number of nationalities of police and military personnel involved in MINUSCA's operations, the associate spokesperson for the UN Secretary-General, Faninia Mastrasi. MINUSCA will not publish preliminary findings that may be prejudicial to the ongoing investigation. The mission is determined to ensure that acts of misconduct, including sexual violence by its personnel, should not go unpunished, hence the importance of protecting the integrity of the investigations and the confidentiality of victims and witnesses. And finally, a series of violent clashes putting a pro-government Tureg group and the main Tureg alliance against each other have claimed the lives of several people in Mali's rest of north. A regional security source says fighting erupted between the pro-Bamako Tureg group and the coordination of Azawad movements. The two rival groups accused each other of initiating the latest fighting and breaching a two-month-old ceasefire. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, and it is 8.06 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa, rise and shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. An incomplete peace agreement has been signed between the South Sudan rebel faction and the former political detainees. The government of South Sudan has refused to sign. The government says that it needs to consult further and may sign after two weeks. Koleto Anjohi reports from Addis Ababa. The road towards comprehensive peace in South Sudan has begun with the signing of an initial agreement between the rebel faction led by Riek Mashar and the leader of the former political detainees of South Sudan, Pagan Amum. Amum is also the secretary general of the ruling SPLM party. President Salva Kiir was present in the room but did not partake in the signing because the government has refused to sign. The government of South Sudan has refused to sign this agreement this time, claiming that it is still not ready and has to consult further on some underlying issues that it does not agree with. In particular, it says it needs to consult with its constituents, especially on power-sharing agreement proposals. Rebel leader Riek Mashar says that he will cease fire for now. You know, we, we don't have any reservations on the ceasefire. And therefore, since we don't have reservation on the ceasefire, we have no reason to 
continue uh, fighting. What we'll do is we'll tell our troops to uh, hold down, stay in their places, and observe what we have signed. The government of South Sudan has said that it will sign the agreement after two weeks. It is not contented with the power-sharing agreement suggested by the agreement, claiming a lot of power has been allocated to the rebel faction. However, eager heads of state that for the past few days have been meeting President Salva Kiir and rebel leader Riek Mashar separately in Addis Ababa warn that this delay should not be used as an excuse for war to go on. President Uhuru Kenyatta is the rapporteur for the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAD, and has been in Addis Ababa for four days consulting on this conflict with other presidents. He says that this should not be the beginning of more conflict and it should be the beginning of walk to peace for the suffering South Sudanese nationals. We're all here, not just for the people in this room, but for the millions of South Sudanese who are looking out in hope that at least, if nothing else, and even if there are still some details to be worked out, they will have peace. They will have peace. They will know that they are safe. They will know that they can access humanitarian assistance. The agreement offers three months window period before the formation of the suggested transitional government of national unity. The rebel faction says that it will wait for the government to honor the agreement and move towards solving this 20-month crisis. For now, the speed at which the guns will go silent in South Sudan is highly dependent on when the government will sign the agreement. Kuleto Njoi for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Botswana's President Ian Kama says there is a greater need to accelerate the process of industrialization of SEDEC economies. Kama was delivering his acceptance speech after being installed as new chairperson of the regional economic bloc at the Botswana capital, Khaboroni. South Africa alone represents more than 65% of intra-SEDEC trade. The region's major export commodities are amongst others energy products, minerals products that include diamonds, gold and copper. Tsepo Ikaneng reports from Khaboroni. The staging of the 35th SADC Leader Summit in the regional body's headquarters, whole city of Khaburone, is regarded as historic and an affirmation of Botswana as one of the continent's most stable economies. Of great significance was the handover of the chairmanship of the SADC from President Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe to Botswana's President Ian Kama. The two leaders are known not to see eye to eye and have clashed on numerous occasions. Kama, who is the son of Botswana's independence founding father, President Seseretsa Kama, condemned human rights violations in Zimbabwe and declared the 2008 general elections as not free and fair. He also defended President Jacob Zuma when he called on African leaders to improve economic livelihoods of their citizens to curb influx of migrants into South Africa. President Mugabe used his last speech as SADC chairman to praise the role played by Kama's father in supporting Zimbabwe's struggle for independence. He described the late Cesarete Kama as one of the continent's visionary leaders and a pan-Africanist. Shortly after being declared the new chairman of SADC, Botswana President Ian Kama said he was humbled by the honor bestowed on him and his country. I'm very humbled by the confidence that the region has demonstrated by bestowing Botswana the honor of chairing SADC for the next 12 months. Allow me to pay tribute 
to the outgoing chairperson of SADC, His Excellency Robert Gabriel Mugabe, who has guided the organization and when during his tenure, SADC adopted the industrialization strategy and roadmap. And I think it is true to say that indeed it was his idea that we embark upon this. 91-year-old Mugabe applauded the role played by South Africa in contributing towards efforts to facilitate peace and security in Lesotho. I would like to commend the chairperson of the SADC organ on politics, defense and security, His Excellency President Jacob Zuma, and the SADC facilitator on Lesotho, Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa, for guiding our efforts to facilitate peace and security in the kingdom. We must also continue to assist our brothers and sisters in the Democratic Republic of the Congo as they search for peaceful ways of resolving their current challenges. The SADC region has a population of about 210 million people and a regional GDP amounting to about 250 billion US dollars. The South African economy remains the more sophisticated and diversified than other 14 SADC member states. President Kama says South Africa can play a crucial role in supporting other regional countries to improve their economies. The current trade imbalances within the SADC region are reason enough for us to expedite and jumpstart efforts towards industrialization development, particularly with regard to the creation of value chains. In this way, the more industrialized advanced economies amongst us can assist the least developed and small vulnerable economies to leverage on them to also increase their productive capacities. In turn, this will lead to jobs being created and thus reducing labor mobility and concentration in one or two economies in the region. It is therefore my sincere hope that through our deliberations going forward, we will be able to come up with decisions which will direct and guide our ministers and officials towards actualizing the SADC industrialization strategy and roadmap. Kama has also appealed to regional leaders to scale up the construction of key infrastructure development mega-projects like electricity generation. The recently launched SADC Regional Infrastructure Master Plan identifies a total of 73 power generation projects to increase generation from the current 56,000 megawatts and surpass the projected demand of about 96,000 megawatts by 2027. We should therefore redouble our efforts towards accelerating implementation of power generation and transmission projects as our regional economies in some cases are virtually on their knees owing to incessant power outages that continue to disrupt economic activities and adversely impact on the quality of lives of our people. Tanzanian President Jakaya Kikwete will deliver his last speech as head of state ahead of his retirement from public office after general elections in October. Tsepo Ikaneng in Khaburoni, Botswana. The troubled mountain kingdom of Lesotho has appealed to members of the Southern African Development Community, SADC, to continue their diplomatic interventions in the country. Lesotho's Prime Minister, Pakadita Musisidi, addressed regional leaders at the 35th SADC Heads of State Summit in Khaburoni, Botswana. He delivered his maiden speech together with the newly inaugurated presidents of Namibia, Zambia and Mozambique. The day was also used to honour the winners of a school 
Cool SA and media competitions. Sintla Inglihihi reports from Khaburoni. Recent events in the Mountain Kingdom, a thorn in Southern Africa's flesh. While SADC heads of state and government welcome new presidents into the fold, the fragility of Lesotho's security is expected to dominate regional concerns. Lesotho Prime Minister Pakadita Musisili. Even after the peaceful elections engineered by SADC, the new challenges we are confronted with all point to a refusal of certain sections of the population, particularly members of the opposition, to accept the outcome of the February 2015 elections. Among the newly welcomed state leaders is President of Namibia, Dr. Haig Gigengob, who called for more radical transformation in industrializing and developing the region. The focus of our summit on industrialization and how to bring about is timely. We must act with a sense of urgency to ensure that we that value addition becomes the mainstay of our economies. Exportation of raw materials simply means exportation of jobs. In effect, it denies us opportunity to industrialize. It was not all doom and gloom as SADC honored winners in the student essay and media competitions. Sam Msibi, SABC News cameraman, and Dennis Tetlani, SABC News journalist, were victorious in their exceptional story about Lesotho mine workers who were able to access their provident funds from the companies they were employed at in South Africa. Indeed, we deserve to have won something like this because it's a story through the eyes of the people who are in deep rural areas, bringing them back to get what they deserve. When you do a job, a, a thorough job in terms of, you know, it's factual, it's based on community concerns, and also you, you, you explore, you know, policies that are in place from the private sector, you know, how do they impact on ordinary people's lives. 16-year-old Imbaleni Matibe from Tengwe High School in Limpopo had this to say about her victory. As the youth, we were given a voice, which is very rare. So I feel that that motivated me to work hard and use that platform to express my thoughts on the plaguing issues, you know, in our region. Members of the media across SADC were encouraged to cover stories relating to SADC countries to promote regional integration. I am Sintle Inglihihi in Khaburone, Botswana. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The International Criminal Court will decide on Wednesday whether the Kenyan government blocked evidence in the case of Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta. President Kenyatta saw the five charges he faced of crimes against humanity dropped in December 2014. The charges related to his alleged involvement in the post-election violence of 2008 in Kenya. Europe correspondent Jack Parrock reports. 
Although the Kenyan president will never have to face ICC judges again, his government is still under scrutiny. The ICC prosecutor will hear from the appeals chamber whether or not the court will refer the Kenyan government to the Assembly of States Parties, which is the United Nations-backed Council of Countries signed up to the court's jurisdiction. The court's prosecution team says the government in Nairobi prevented them from accessing phone and bank records and paperwork they deemed essential for building a case against President Kenyatta. One trial chamber has already rejected this appeal, saying that the involvement of the Assembly of States parties would not be in the interests of justice or result in a future fair trial. More broadly, this issue highlights a growing gulf between the International Criminal Court and the African continent, especially in the light of South Africa being slammed by the court and the international community for not handing over indicted Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir when he attended an African Union summit in Pretoria in June. Jack Parrick, Brussels. It's 8.20 Central African time, and let's go back in history to today in 1986, where Sudanese rebel group claims responsibility for shooting down Sudan Airways passenger plane in which all 60 people aboard were killed. That was today in history in 1986. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Malawi's President Peter Mutarika has fired two of his senior cabinet ministers and reshuffled others. However, Mutarika has maintained the 20 cabinet ministerial list he promised when he took oath of office in 2014. George Mango has more from Blantai. Based on the ministerial list from the office of the president, OBC, the fired two are Tarsisius Goelo, who was Minister of Local Government, and Pochi Bingo, who was Minister of Lands and Housing. Former Minister of Information and Government spokesperson Kondwani Nankuma has replaced Goelo at the local government ministry. Both Goel and Chibingu have not made any comment on their firing, but analysts describe their sucking as politically driven by the ruling Democratic Progressive Party, DPP. Malison Ndau, a new member, now deputizes President Mutarika at the Defense Ministry, which was under Jap Mohango. Mohango has been promoted to become Minister of Information and automatically becomes the government's spokesperson. Atubile Muluzi, who was in charge of the Home Affairs and Internal Security Ministry, has replaced the fired Porch Bingo at Lands and Housing Ministry. Eugene Kalilani is now Home Affairs Minister, having paved the way for another new entrant, Dr. Peter Kampalume, at the Health Ministry. Soon after news of the firing and cabinet reshuffle was made public, this is what people said. There were some other positions that were not moving on well. So I feel like this kind of changes will bring maybe progress in those departments. To be specific, the Ministry of Security. This ministry wasn't working on way because you can see security in Malawi wasn't okay. And at the same time, you could see maybe vandalism, people trying to kill each other like that. So those kind of changes at least will make the progress of this ministry. I feel like so. But those ministries that they haven't encountered some changes i feel like it means they are doing fine and they will continue to do fine as the changes haven't occurred so i feel like the president has done well on the reshuffle 
it's good for the president to shuffle the, the, the ministries because I think it makes them at least work hard in fear of being removed or being demoted. In other ways, the president is working his talk. I mean, he said he would maintain at least, he will minimize the number of ministers and this is, what, is exactly what he has done. I think we hope that the change in this security department, we are just hoping for the better. The president's decision to make a cabinet reshuffle. The problem is not with the people who are the ministers, the individuals, but the problem is with the government. Because the government doesn't have enough resources for some other departments to perform their duties as being required. So the government should also make an effort to provide resources that are needed for those ministers to work properly. Gudo Gondo still heads the amalgamated Minister of Finance and Economic Planning, which economists say has a tough time to lower inflationary levels to a single digit. Bright Msaka is still Minister of Natural Resources and Energy, Joseph Manaveka, Minister of Trade and Industry, Patricia Kaliati, Minister of Gender. Mtarika has also maintained his Vice President Salo Stilima as Minister for Civil Service. Former University of Malawi Vice-Chancellor Emmanuel Fabiano is still Minister of Education, Science and Technology. Besides all these, Chiro Southwest MP Dr. Alan Chiembekeza is still Minister of Agriculture, Irrigation and Water Development. Nkarabe West MP Grace Chiumia is still Minister of Youth and Sports Development. Henry Musa is still Minister of Labor, Manpower Development. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. The World Health Organization says Sierra Leone is down to its last chain of Ebola virus transmission. The UN Health Agency says for the first time the country has not had any new cases of the disease since the outbreak began more than a year ago. More from Dr. Margaret Harris, WHO spokesperson on Ebola, who is based in the capital, Freetown. What's really changed is that at village level, the chiefs and the leaders of their respective communities are taking control and taking personal responsibility for understanding who in their village, who in their group has been in contact with the virus for identifying those people and making sure they are followed and the minute they develop symptoms, making sure they are tested and treated. Could you just explain that idea of the last chain of transmission? It's quite a long chain. A young man who was a trader working in Freetown, but he regularly went back to his village up in the north, in Tonkalili. He went back and began to develop a high fever. His family thought, or he thought, that he had malaria, took him to hospital, where he was in fact treated for malaria, and died there. Now, part of the very good surveillance that's going on in Sierra Leone involves taking a swab from every person who dies. And when that was tested, it tested positive for Ebola. So from that minute, the rapid response swung into action. So we knew we had one long chain, and then we knew that if we found all the people who could possibly have been in contact, and this was over 600 people, we would have a good chance of stopping that chain going any further. So all of these 600 people along the chain, are they still being monitored? In fact, 595 of those people have shown no symptoms 
and so they've been released from quarantine. In fact, there was a large group of people who were in the hospital where the young man died. So the whole hospital was quarantined. So they were all released as well. And so there were very, very big celebrations. The people who were released did not go on to develop Ebola virus. And to date, in the last week, we've not had any reported cases. So we've passed the first epidemiological week where we've not had any confirmed new Ebola cases. So that's also a very good sign. There's still more that needs to be done and monitored, is that correct? Yes, there's much more that needs to be done. Not just to keep on monitoring and keep on watching out. We know that flare-ups are likely even when you get to zero cases reported, but we are in a place where we, as I've said, now know where the virus is and we are watching it very closely. And that was Dr. Margaret Harris, World Health Organization spokesperson on Ebola in Sierra Leone, speaking to UN Radio's Diane Penn. Going back in time to today in 1964, South Africa is banned from participating in the Olympic Games in Tokyo for refusing to condemn apartheid. That was today in history in 1964. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Africa, rise and shine. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next. A very good morning to you. The United States deeply regrets South Sudan's failure to sign a peace proposal urging President Silva Kiir to sign it within 15 days. Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe thanked the South African government for its continued mediation efforts in Lesotho and a series of violent clashes putting a pro-government Tureg group and the main Tureg alliance against each other claimed the lives of several people in Mali's rest of north. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. A few weeks following a landmark Supreme Court ruling stripping Zimbabwean workers of their labor rights, government is pushing for an amendment to protect jobs. In the Labor Amendment Bill, the Zimbabwean government seeks to have all workers whose contracts were terminated from the 14th of July, compensated. Simon Machema reports from Harare. Zimbabwe is at crossroads. 
with workers not so sure of their rights anymore. This follows a landmark Supreme Court ruling in Harare a month ago, completely taking away every right a worker has according to the Constitution. Following the Supreme Court ruling, more than 20,000 workers, including journalists from the state-run Zimbabwe Broadcasting Corporation and other independent media, had their contracts terminated on three months' notice. This meant all these workers would walk away by just three months' worth of salaries. Three weeks later, President Robert Mugabe promised the law would be amended. However, Labour Amendment Bill gazetted Friday appears to be falling short from high expectations by the suffering Zimbabwean workers. Although the bill is expected to sail through in Zimbabwe Parliament Tuesday with no objections at all, labor bodies and human rights organizations say the amendments are just a smokescreen. Zimbabwe Congress of Trade Union Secretary General Jaffet Moyo expressed concern. It's like uh, they are giving with the right hand and taking away with the left hand. There is no amendment at all. If the employer is allowed to make an exemption and, uh, and granted, what it means is um, there is no amendment at all. So we, t- we discovered that uh, later when we read in detail that no, we have been cheated here. Moyo is concerned government is failing to protect its citizens. First is the employer can decide to retrain. The law allows them to do that. However, if the employer does not have the money, if the employer claims inability and uh, the law stipulates two weeks, that's your system in South Africa, is it? Now, the law goes further and they say if the employer is unable to pay that, the employer can now apply to be exempted to, make, to a retrenchment board. If the board does not respond within 14 days, the application is deemed to have succeeded. That's ridiculous, is it? The amendment bills comes at a time when well non-profit Emmanuel Makandiwa has just predicted Zimbabwe is heading for an economic collapse within a few months. Senior researcher with the Human Rights Watch, Dewama Vinga, says the writing is on the wall. I, I do not know whether it is a, a prophecy or a political statement, um, but it is pretty much obvious uh, to anyone, and therefore it would not need to look into the uh, issues of prophecy for people to see that this the economy is collapsing. That is pretty much obvious, and therefore I would agree with Makandiwa as even if it were a political statement that you would have made and not necessarily a process, that yes, uh, the economy of Zimbabwe is in serious trouble. And uh, the leadership, the government that we have, does not appear to have clue as to how to get out of this economic quagmire. Mavinga added workers would remain at the mess of their employers following the adoption of the Labour Amendment. I think the amendments uh, in the uh, Labour Bill are wholly inadequate, but a political way of uh, seeking to pacify uh, workers, especially those that have been uh, dismissed already in terms of the interpretation of the common law position uh, as uh, enunciated by the Supreme Court uh, led by Chief Justice Godfrey Chikawasiko. The reality is that, in fact, it is two weeks' salary for every year that is being proposed, uh, which politically has been put as one month salary for every two years. So this is really rather than seeking to meet uh, the reality of the dismissed workers. And uh, also, uh, the position is that the law is wholly inadequate in as far as it cannot uh, make up for a collapsed economy 
uh, in which these companies find themselves in. Meanwhile, workers are pinning their hopes that for the first time, David and Goliath would reconcile and agree to protect workers' rights in Parliament Tuesday afternoon. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Officials from South Africa's tourism industry had their hands full fielding questions from journalists about the country's new visa regulations. This as the country launched Tourism Month, an annual celebration held in September to focus on the importance of tourism to the economy of South Africa. This year's celebrations kick-started with an official launch by Tourism Minister Derek Hanekom at the Limpopo Province's Euphoria Golf Resort in the Waterberg region. Channel Africa's Atlanta Matlang was part of the media contingent for the launch and filed this report. South Africa's tourism sector, which contributes at least 3% of the gross domestic product annually and employs some 1.5 million people, is reportedly performing below normal performance as the new visa regulations are deterring international visitors from visiting the country. Under South Africa's new visa requirements, anyone traveling with a minor under the age of 18, either to and from South Africa, is required to present an unabridged birth certificate at the port of entry in South Africa, in addition to a normal passport and a visa. Adding to South Africa's tourism woes is the new requirement for international visitors to apply in person for a South African visa to ensure that biometric information obtained through fingerprints are reliably collected. But after much criticism about the new rules, last week President Jacob Zuma announced that a ministerial team would look at what government said were the unintended consequences of the rules that require children traveling to South Africa to have their unabridged birth certificates. Officials from the tourism industry have thrown their weight behind the committee. Tourism Minister Derek Hennecom has admitted that the new regulations have had a negative impact on tourism. Yes, it has uh, um, had a, a negative impact on tourism and this is precisely why the President in his State of the Nation address said that he would call together, bring together a group of ministers to examine these unintended consequences because that's what they were. Um, measures were introduced to combat child trafficking and measures were introduced to tighten up our security situation. Unfortunately, these measures have impacted negatively on tourism growth. And that is why we'll be meeting quite soon, convened by the Deputy President, to look at other ways of achieving the same objectives. The objectives are very important. We've just got to look at the best possible way of doing it so that it doesn't have this dampening effect on tourism growth. Chairperson of the Limpopo Tourism Board, Andrew Dipela, says they are hopeful that the ministerial team will come up with an amicable solution. Well, I think all of us as a country are affected by the issue, but I think you are aware that over the past two days, the Deputy <coughs> President of the Republic, Deputy President Ramaphosa, have been able to announce that there is a task team, that is interministerial task team that has been formed that is going to be looking in terms of creating a balance between the security and tourist needs that the country that is going to have. The MEC for Economic Development, Environment and Tourism in Limpopo, Siaparo Sikwati, agrees. We all know that uh, there is an interministerial team that is actually dealing with it, but uh, it's very clear that uh, it's going to affect all of us. As South Africans, people are going to be benefiting from tourism, but as well people who would want to have certain services in the country, particularly our neighboring countries. So we believe that with the team that uh, is going to be looking at that, uh, we should be able to find a solution towards that 
which will then be able to continue to enable people to come to South Africa and to come to our shores as well. So it does have uh, an effect in terms of uh, people who are visiting us is true, but uh, we just believe that uh, perhaps it will be temporary, but we should be able to find a solution towards uh, that uh, challenge. Tourism Month celebrations rotate among the provinces each year, with a different province given an opportunity to host the celebrations. During the month of September, all nine provinces are encouraged to showcase their leisure experiences on offer so as to inspire domestic travelers. Tourism Month also coincides with Heritage Month in South Africa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Tantla Matlangu in Johannesburg. The 2015 Southern Africa Regional Dialogue on Agriculture with the theme Agricultural Trends and Outlook to Inform SADC Agricultural Investment Plans with a focus on regional trade and agricultural water management presents a window of opportunity for women in the region to have their views heard. For more on this, Wandile Kalipa spoke to Marcia Kosa, an Economic Alternative Coordinator for Action Aid in Mozambique. I think this is a great space for women also to put their issues, the issues that they want to see better or improving on agriculture and also on water. I think this kind of dialogue is a new thing, and unfortunately women are not too much engaged on these spaces. So my opinion is that we should return to our countries, mobilize women about this space, in order to make sure that on the next dialogue, women are really represented here and their issues, their concerns and their demands are taken in consideration. So now, what would you say is the reason behind women not being represented in such forums like this one? Not exactly is not represented well. What I'm saying is that we have rural women's movement, we have rural women assembly from SADC, and they are not here. So I think this group should be part of these dialogue spaces because they are the voices of the rural women across the SADC countries. So this is why I'm saying that is missing something. We have a lot of government representative that is good. We have a lot of private sector representative that is also good, but we don't have a lot of women's representatives, specific the women's groups that I'm saying, you know, like the Rural Women's Assembly. They are not here represented. Women's farmers. They were not invited. I don't know. (laughs) Probably because this meeting is happening in parallel with the government meeting where also civil society and women's uh, groups are discussing their position to influence the state's meeting. So probably because of this sobreposition, they are uh, not here. Madam, what would you say is the major challenges for rural women in the region of Southern Africa when it comes to agriculture? Because in most cases you find that the ones who are in the forefront of producing food for us in the region of Southern Africa. I think the big challenge is our cultural practices. I believe myself, I believe that... uh, Culture is not some negative thing. It's good because it represents us. But in Africa, because of these cultural practices and bad practices, women are put behind. We don't want women to be in front, but at least side by side. Women are 
mostly who produce, but they are not who have the land ownership. They are not who decided on what to do in that land and all what to do on that with the products from that land. So these cultural practices makes a big barrier for women development here in Africa. That was Marcia Kosa, Economic Alternative Coordinator at Action Aid in Mozambique, speaking to Wandile Kalipa. South Africa's Department of Correctional Services has refused to divulge the conditions under which disgraced Paralympian Oscar Pistorius will be released on correctional supervision at the end of this week. Pistorius served a tenth of his five-year sentence for culpable homicide. He was also sentenced to three years in prison for discharging a firearm in a public place, but that sentence was suspended in its entirety. Pistorius shot and killed his girlfriend Riva Stienkamp on Valentine's Day in 2013 when he fired four shots through the toilet door. He argued that he thought it was an intruder. Lila Machnas reports. The Department of Correctional Services spokesperson Logan Maestri says Oscar Pistorius will be released on correctional supervision in terms of the Correctional Services Act. The Act stipulates certain conditions for correctional supervision. These conditions include the fact that the person must have a fixed address. They must work towards programs that will ensure their rehabilitation. They should seek employment. Uh, they should be able to find meaningful employment if possible. And um, they are placed under the system of house detention. They do community service in order to facilitate the restoration of relations between the community and the offender. They take part in treatment, development and support programs. They refrain from using alcohol or illegal substances. They do not commit any further offences and uh, that they are confined to a certain magisterial district. Maestri says more conditions can be added depending on the circumstances of the offender. He, however, didn't want to say if conditions will be added for Pistorius. As per correctional services protocols, we may not divulge specific details of particular offenders. And that report by Leela Machnas. Now, our question to you today is, do you think the legal system in South Africa is too lenient towards criminals? Give us your thoughts and your views on email at infochannelafrica.co.za or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Africa or at Channel Africa 1. Do you think the legal system in South Africa is too lenient towards criminals? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our economics update up next. Namibia will be the first African country to export bone and beef to China after the two countries signed a protocol on veterinary health conditions and quarantine in Beijing, China this week. Under the protocol, beef means the frozen deboned and bone and meat extruding head, feet, offal and other byproducts. Announcing the deal, the Ministry of Agriculture said the cattle should be born and reared in the foot and mouth free zone of Namibia. 
Zimbabwe's former finance minister Tendai Biti has warned of more job losses despite the proposed amendments to the country's Labour Act. The Labour Amendment Bill will come before lawmakers this week after Parliament was recalled from its recess to debate and pass the bill. The amendments force employers to pay dismissed workers a minimum wage of two weeks' wage for every year worked, with exemptions for companies that can't afford this. Biti explains. It now depends on whether you are going to be paid the two weeks for every year worked or there's going to be an exemption. So the law, if the idea was to protect the workers, is actually exacerbating uh, the situation and exposing the worker even more. So I expect a huge outcry uh, from uh, our trade union movement. Africa's top bullion producer, Anglo Gold Ashanti, could reduce investment in some of its mines in Mali and extract the gold at that remains. This says it cuts the costs to help offset the falling price of the precious metal. South African mining companies are contending with the falling gold prices, down 40% since July, or rather 2011, and rising costs that have forced them to shelf projects to cut jobs and sell mines. The world's third-largest gold producer launched a broad-based cost-cutting strategy in 2013 that has helped to turn it into one of the world's lowest cost producers. Lechejo Holdings Limited's provisional banking license in Namibia, which expired last month, has been extended by another six months. The Pan-African microlender is currently trading with the provisional banking license, which was first granted in July 15 last year. It has already been extended twice due to a variety of reasons. Namibian authorities recently passed a law stipulating that any bank that sets up in the country must have at least 25% of indigenous investors. Algeria's currency, the dinar, has slipped to a record low against the US dollar as falling crude prices more than halved vital oil revenues and hit public finances. The central bank, which keeps the dinar in a managed float to major currencies, allowed the currency to depreciate to curb imports expected to reach $57.3 billion this year. Oil and gas exports made up as much as 98% of Algeria's revenues in recent years. A U.S. dollar, 12.85 in South Africa, 10.6 in Botswana, 7.90 in Zambia, 6.4 British pound, 8.9 euro, gold, $1,118, platinum, $992 an ounce, brand crude, $49, cents a barrel. I'm Tabiso Lohoku with Channel Africa's economic update. Our sports update up next was Figile Lingwati. Now, sports update this hour. We're starting off with the Olympic news. Former Olympic champion Sergei Bubka thinks the fight against doping is the main task facing whoever triumphs in Wednesday's IAAF presidential election, a vote he is still confident he will win. Flanked by fellow Ukrainian sporting greats in footballer Andrei Shevchenko and boxer Vitaly Klinchko, 
Buga defended his sport record in the battle against dark cheats, but says clearly more needed to be done. Bubga will take on another former great of the sport in Britain's Sebastian Coe in Wednesday's ballot. The six times world champion says that far from being negligent when faced with evidence of doping, the International Association of Athletics Federation had in fact led the way in the fight. We were first with biological athlete passports, we tried to use scientific knowledge, we invest in more than any other federation and we will continue. We've been in, in, in favor for band life for years and this is we will continue to do but we must do according to the rules and regulation. If we need to strengthen them, we will strengthen them. Some media reports have suggested that Bubka is seriously lagging behind Co in the support of the more than 200 national federations who will elect the new president. Bubka pointed out that some federations had already broken with announcements for Co, but made blocks of nations they were part of and would be put his trust on Wednesday's ballot. For me, it's more important results on the 19th, when will be a real vote, but today... This is guess. This is game. Which normally I prefer fair game like in sport. And on to football news. Nigeria's Super Eagles head coach Sunday Olise has invited 18 overseas-based professionals for next month's 2017 Africa Cup of Nations qualifier against Tanzania in Dar es Salaam. Eagles first choice goalkeeper and skipper Vincent Enyema headlines the list that also has defenders Godfrey Obuabona, Leon Balogun, and Kenneth Omeruo, midfielders Rabio Ibrahim, Lukman Haruna, and Joel Obi, and forwards Ahmed Musa, Emmanuel Emenike, and Anthony Uja. There are a number of surprises in line with Olise's earlier pledge to make current form and first level football key for selection to the Super Eagles. There are goalkeeper Carl Igeme, midfielder Izuna Ernest Uzochugu, and forwards Emen, Eduok, Sylvester Igbon, and Moses Simon. All the 18 players who will join up with the 23 homeboys who are in camp in Abuja are expected in Abuja on the 31st of August at the latest. The Super Eagles take on Tanzania in Dar es Salaam on the 5th of September. And South Korea's Chung Moon Jun says his French rival for the presidency of FIFA, Michel Platini, is too close to outgoing chief Seb Blatter to be right for the job as head of soccer scandal hit governing body. The former French international has described Blatter as a friend but has repeatedly called on him to quit since May when corruption allegations against FIFA came to a head and has said the scandal turned his stomach. Launching his bid for the role in Paris, former FIFA Vice President Chung says Platini, who has been a FIFA Executive Committee member since 2002, should have done more to root out corruption. Today it is my great privilege and honor to announce my candidacy for the presidency of FIFA. European mass media portray Michel Platini, protege of President Platini. Mentor, good teacher, protege, good student, and even father and son. How come he blames he blames Blatter and he claims Blatter is the enemy? And uh, I think it is good for Michel Platini 
not to be a candidate this time. And that's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, South Sudan President Salva Kiir refuses to sign peace agreement, Botswana's President Ian Kama takes over SADC chairmanship, and Malawi's President Peter Mutarika reshuffles his cabinet. And that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutora Magaza and Tutungubeni, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or send us an SMS on 277-969-57930 or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Somi with a song titled Akobi. Ask me.